how do you introduce yourself if you if you're only allowed to do one sentence right it doesn't mean need to be like a list of resume or a list of like you know qual like but how do you you know to a colleague to another pt yeah no i mean i'd say i'm a i'm a you know i don't know it doesn't need to be complicated i'm a pt i'm a clinician in in tucson great and you got a chance to uh to to write for us i'm always curious about you know, the motivation for someone to sit down and actually put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard is which what, what we're more likely doing. You know, what what drove you to go, hey, like this is important. I care about it enough to not only think about it for myself, but also I want I want other people to understand or see what I see so we can grow. Yeah, no, I think writing has always been something I've turned to to kind of force me to reflect and learn a little bit. So it's probably there. Usually there's a spark and, you know, I see something. And um, I think uh, maybe I want to dive a little deeper in this. And so it gives me a chance to kind of sit and reflect on it. And I always learn something writing something like this. So that's what's in it for me. Yeah. I tell people a lot when we do, you know, communications projects, whether that might be an independent study course or an article, I say, sit down and, and actually write. And I actually push for people to use pen and paper. And it might just be the old schoolness in me. And I think, I think that you can hide, and this is coming from someone who speaks a lot. I think you can hide bad thought process in speaking quickly, but the thing with writing versus a video or a podcast or anything is the reader, the consumer of the content determines how fast we go. So you can't really hide thought process as well. I think when you see it in writing, people can see this person's going around in circles. So I think it, it, it gives not only the reader, but as you mentioned there, also the writer some really good clarity. So even if zero people read it, I still think there's value in actually writing. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's it's tough. I've done, you know, quite a few podcasts. And, you know, you go to lectures and things like that at, you know, whatever meeting you're going to. And just the really charismatic people, yeah, I mean, they get the crowd on their side. But if you're sitting there really thinking about what they're saying, right. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of holes you could poke in it. Right. Uh, what about this article? How would you, how would you describe it? What's the movie trailer of uh, of of this piece that you wrote? You know, I think um, physical examination. If you look at it through through history, it's kind of slowly being handed to us, and then you know, like you know, we've historically done. We're trying to climb up the mountain and change our scope of practice. But uh, as we do that, we I don't you know I think we have to hang on to this physical examination because now physicians are in a, a place where they're like. You know, a lot of them, what did we do? You know, and I think if you go to physicians, you get, you know, you experience that. They've they've lost a little bit of the skill uh, that now we are kind of the, I think, the best profession to carry this forward. I think you're being a little modest here. I mean, you wrote, by continuing to study, learn, and teach the physical examination, we're keeping a torch alive that has been neglected for decades by others. See, there's there's something to be said for for writing like that when you really believe in something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's the truth. It was funny. I had a Brit Smith actually. So I wrote a history paper for PTJ and um, how we got into diagnosis as a profession. And he emailed me and said, maybe you should look at this key inflection point, which where imaging came into the picture, especially MRIs in the 80s. And it just seemed like there was a huge shift that he noticed at that point where they just kind of handed off the physical exam to PTs. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you note that in the article that you wrote where uh, physicians were unlearning while physical therapists were learning. It was this sort of dichotomy, one dying out and one sort of taking that and owning it. 
Are we in danger now as physical therapists of unlearning it? Are we relying too much on sometimes the shiny thing, the gadget? How can I use a, an app or, or, an, or a gadget, something to, to do this for me? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. We, you know, if I, if I sit and think about, you know, what are examples where we do that? I mean, I think, I, I don't think that there are as many examples in physical therapy right now where we over rely on, on the gadgets and things like that. We still have, I think, stayed pretty much close to our roots. We, I think we use, you know, the, you know, little, little things to help us with our examination, but I think for the most part, PTs have, have stuck true to that. But as I look at like, okay, now different states now are, are, you know, cementing in physical therapists is able to order imaging. I mean, even in Arizona recently, we did that for, for radiographs. Um, I look at, well, are we going to move into the same situation? Um, delegating physical examination or just not doing it at all and relying on the imaging or the ultrasound that PTs can do. I mean, I guess ultrasound might be one example where, you know, you got to make sure you actually do a physical exam, not just look at something on an ultrasound. Right. You actually allude to an interaction in your article, um, you know, in it, you said, you know, uh, apologizing to the patient uh, when in the chart it had said, you know, a complete thorough physical examination had been completed and you apologized for having to do it, quote, again. And then the patient said what? Yeah. I mean, he said no one had done it yet. So it was... I mean, there are, there are physicians that have written blogs and even papers, I think, on this where um, Eric, Eric Topol comes to mind, as I think he's mentioned this, where it's probably, you know, I don't want to throw this around, but, you know, the guy wrote that he did a full physical examination, the, the orthopedic surgeon that he saw, and according to the patient, he never touched him or had him move his arm in any way. So I don't know. I mean, what happened if he doesn't remember it, but... Um, it makes you question what's going on and there are just different motives and time pressures and that probably happens all the time. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up. Do you think it's part of, um, uh, a changing thought process by people who should be conducting the exam? Did the patient just happen to forget that? Did they not understand what words you were using? Or is it this time pressure, which is, I need to see X number of patients. So some things have to go. You if you're given less and less time, you can't do the same things in the same level of, um, with the same level of effort. It's just not possible. Um, unfortunately, especially as your, your article highlights, is the physical exam is sort of important. Yeah, I mean, for it to be the physical exam that's getting skipped is kind of interesting. Right. Um, but no, I mean, I think we all can empathize, like with Medicare, every year it seems like they add a new thing. One of my, you know, pet peeves is the BMI, like we're expected to and I don't know if outpatient clinics actually do this, go and manually measure their weight. We're, we can't trust the patient's report of their weight. We have to actually take them to a scale. Right. And that takes time. And uh, I don't think, I would, I would bet that most clinics aren't actually doing that. Seth, um, I can't trust my own analysis of my own weight. So yes, I, I just don't know. I do it every once in a while, but I'm, you know, pretty good guess. And I want to guess I'm a low end because I want to be optimistic and feel good. Yeah. Yeah. But you, so but you bring up a good point, which is how much of this are we trusting or are we skipping or we, we look at someone and we assume they look fine. I don't really see anything. And we talk all the time about, well, what is it? 
what does a disability look like? You really, you know, can't always see it. What is it? What is what is someone who's lacking in something? What's the point? Why am I actually there? Well, you're there to figure those things out and be as specific as you can. And by relying on or not or just plain old not doing, I mean, we're sort of we're giving an opportunity to be erased out of the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the stat that gets thrown around that's, you know, there's some evidence to support like 80% of the diagnosis comes from the patient history. So right. it's it's a big portion. But then there was this, you know, study in 2015, I mentioned in the blog, where 63% of oversights and diagnosis were due to not performing a physical exam. So I don't know if those numbers match up or I'd have to think about that for a little bit, but it just goes to show you, I mean, they're probably, you know, you just have to do a physical exam and, you know, I have fellows and training in my clinic all the time. And one of the big things I see is them talking to the patient about what their diagnosis is, like in the patient history, like you haven't finished the history, you haven't done a physical exam and you're already kind of talking to the patient about what you think the diagnosis is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about, um, besides the, the tangible necessity that you're talking about there, it is sort of part of the process. You know, I, I highlight all the time how long it might take someone to actually see a healthcare provider of any type, how long they waited before they decided that this wasn't going away and this was ne- necessary to elevate to going to see a practitioner in person, how long it actually takes from when you make that decision to actually seeing that person. And we're skipping this, and I like how you you phrased it, we're skipping this ritual that communicates something important to the patient. You are being heard. And that goes, and I like how you use that word heard, which is also, I'm, I'm receiving the history, right, verbally. I'm not doing anything while you're doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you because what it took a long time for you to get here. I want to make sure I get as much information as possible. But then you're also able to, you know, sort of hear what the body is saying as much as we actually can. And that feels like a, that feels like a core part of this relationship. We like to say, and, and sort of, you know, put, put on our chest and say, we, we, we spend a lot of time with our patients compared to other providers. It feels like that's core and we're voluntarily, whether we notice it or not, which is why I like the fact that you wrote this, we're voluntarily or not choosing to sometimes skip that. Yeah. I think we could do, we could do a better job and be intentional about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I mentioned him a few times in here because I think he was influential. You know, I can't remember the name of this. Uh, Abraham Verghese had a uh, TED Talk. I think it was called the, the Physician's Touch or Doctor's Touch, something along those lines. And that, he basically outlines what he does. So he's an internal medicine doc out of Stanford. And he'll have patients come in, in a lot of times with the persistent pain patients. He'll just spend a full day doing the patient history. And then I'll have him come back and spend a full day doing the physical exam. And he so says separates that, those. Yeah, he's yeah, he just gives him a lot of time. And and you know, so could everyone do that? Maybe not, but it you know, he goes on to kind of support what's the rationale for doing that. And so he thinks just putting your hands on on a patient, just taking them through a physical examination, there's a therapeutic effect of that, just historically, evolutionarily as human beings. Um, there is a noticeable effect just taking someone through that. It yeah. calms them. It helps them feel like someone is listening. They're paying attention. And he talks about a few examples where the minute that he put his hands on the patient, even if they were a really garrulous patient, they're just talking. The minute he puts their hands on them, the patient quiets down, they calm down, and they're both going through this ritual where, okay, we're looking for what the problem is. So 
it, I think just hearing that it kind of brings this kind of hallowedness to the physical exam that I think, you know, maybe we forget about. You, uh, you sort of lay out the stakes too at the end of your article, uh, which is smart, right? You, you, you put it and make it sound dramatic because it could be. We, we've seen what happens to those who have undervalued the importance of a skillful physical examination. Let's not make the same mistake. Yeah. I like how you sort of like left it as a cliffhanger. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I have plenty of years left in the profession, so I'll see how how it works out. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's you know, yeah, if you look through history, it's you can see what physicians have done. There are a lot of physicians that are lamenting this, and this isn't to say all of them. Like I, I gave the example of Abraham Vergesi, kind of putting more emphasis on the physical exam. But there's a lot. Um, I think he had to start a special program at Stanford to teach people how to do a physical exam. So it goes to show you. It's it's not really happening. I think we all have stories too. Of you go to see a physician and and they don't. I mean, I had a couple of stories uh, in the blog where yep. they did they didn't do a, a physical exam or they didn't do a good one. Uh, so I was surprised by that, and it kind of made me question what I think I I know about physicians and and how important it is because it had an impact on me. Yeah, expectation and reality. Are they actually paying attention to me? And I think we want to remove, ironically, we want to answer as many questions as we can, but we want, in terms of diagnosis, in terms of what we're seeing and what we're, what we're confronted with. But from the patient side, you want to remove as many questions as you can. Is this person paying attention to me? I mean, you know, myself included, I've been to a, a physician before where I don't think they ever looked up from a computer and I'm like, you know, kind of wanted to wave like, hi, I'm Jimmy. You know, I don't, I didn't expect to sit here and talk for 20 minutes about my life history, but I figured maybe we'd make eye contact and you'd ask me about my life and the 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 good but also sad part is when someone does this minimum this i will sit and listen to you for 15 minutes like it stands out so much that you're like oh gosh i haven't had this in a while yeah it's kind of sad isn't it yeah i mean i think that i even went to one uh primary care doc when i was maybe a teenager and i i specifically remember like their computer was oriented so it was facing away from me so like I was talking to their back most of the time. Oh. So, I mean, it just, yeah. I mean, if that's how your computer's set up, you can't do that. You just have yeah. to document later. If if anything says I am on the way out of here, facing away from someone, it's the, you know, what do they say? 70% of communication is uh, is nonverbal. That's screaming that I'm, I'm, just, I'm here and I'm already, I'm already down the road. I'm already thinking about three steps away from you. Yeah. It's um, not a good feeling. Interactions with students, with people who are coming into the profession. I'm sure you have that in your in your clinic and in your in your in your wanderings in this profession. Do you see a trend with them? Things move in pendulums. Things go from one end to the other, and we we know we we hope for it to come back to the middle. Do you see students more open? Do you see them gravitating more towards the physical or less? Well, it's interesting. I think for the most part, I think I think there's enough kind of tension still in academia for my out you know, outsider's perspective, but I think there's still, it's still being taught, but I do think that you'll, you're hearing more and more about say like manual therapy and being nonspecific and then with dry needling and things like that, where maybe people are being super general with the physical examination thinking, well, it's not, you know, I can't be super specific in my diagnosis and in my treatment. So therefore I'll just be super general with, with the physical exam. And, uh, you know, I think maybe there's some truth to, you know, maybe we're not trying to be super specific, but we need to be uh, intentional about what we do. So it matters 
in a way, maybe it just matters for the patient. You're looking at specifically what they have issues with. You're trying to modify things so it helps inform you and your treatment and understanding their prognosis, whatever it's going to be. Um, we can improve with the neurological exams. We do. Um, I just taught a course on uh, radicular pain in Baltimore a couple weeks ago, and it's kind of what I usually see, which we go over the neuro exam and people are like, man, I haven't done one of these in a while. And there was a PT in one of the courses I initially taught uh, on the cervical spine who was like, man, now I know how to feel C2. So there's these, I hear things like that. And I'm like, man, what are people doing in the clinic? I just, uh, it kind of baffles me. I think I, I got into a good clinic coming out of PT school and then had went through a residency and fellowship. And so I've kind of been brought up this way, but I do think that there's probably a huge chunk of PT that just doesn't really do neuro exams, never checks blood pressure. Um, and so we need to level that up if we're going to decide that the physical exam is important to us. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna put you on the spot. We didn't prepare for this, but what's your prediction? And that's a good part about predictions is this is you shooting in the future. Do you, th which way do you think the pendulum is going to swing? Well, I know which way you hope for it to swing, right? That's pretty obvious in your writing. But which way do you think it's going to swing? And um, for it to swing that way, do we need something? Does there need to be a moment or or a wake-up call? And if so, what might it be? Yeah, I mean, I think a, that's a two-parter. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's good. There's a, there's, I think for the most part in physical therapy, we recognize that the physical exam is important. If you look through our history, I mean, it, it's really eye-opening. I mean, even just in the 30s, we're starting to take physical examination seriously. We're getting taught from, you know, these physicians. Syriax and Manel started teaching things, especially the selective tissue tensioning was James Syriax around that time. And then as imaging came on and physical therapists moved away from hospitals into private practice, we started doing more and more of the physical examination. And that continued and it has continued. Um, I think the big driver, like always, is going to be what happens with payment for insurance. Is it going to be yeah. nationalized healthcare? Are we going to get, you know, f everyone just, there's no way to practice unless it's 15 minutes with a patient and that's it for physical therapists. And if that's the case, what happens to the physical exam? Right. I don't know. I think that if we were in complete control of the future as a profession, I think we would hang on to the physical exam. I think we, you know, you see the movement system coming into the picture and what's happening there and trying to think about how can we really define how we're going to analyze and examine movement. And there's some good thoughtful conversations about that. But I do think that there's probably a wing of the profession uh, that thinks it's less important or will spend more time as time goes on in imaging. And so we have to, we'll probably have to keep pulling them back in and proving that, hey, this is important. Um, you know, just taking someone through a physical examination, whether it's, you know, I mean, just looking at, at their problem, taking time to examine what they want to have examined has a beneficial effect, even if it had no impact, objective impact on outcomes. Mm -hmm. It's just what we want out of the healthcare system. So I think we need to hang on to that. Um, what needs to happen, I think, um, I think continue having these conversations. And then in, in academia, I think um, teachers, if they can get that, you know, cemented in the minds of the impressionable students that as you move on through your career, the physical exam is really important. And then to highlight that, yes, this ritual thing, this is real. And 
and then as you know um, you know CIs people that are seeing students in the clinic to point out this is why I'm doing this examination um, and to point out that um, conversations with having conversations with patients and what's what's their subjective experience of being taken through that so that people can see you know students and and young clinicians that hey this is important Seth, the last thing I'll say is, I'm no math guy, but uh, physical is 50% of physical therapy. Seems like something we should be hanging on to. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for uh, for taking time to put uh, pen to paper or finger to keyboard for us. I hope you write something for us again in the, uh, the near future. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jimmy. Thanks for the time.